Welcome back to Atlanta Diaries. I'm your host Enma Popley. Thank you for joining me. In Atlanta Diaries, we celebrate unique and inspiring stories of breakthrough women to help future generations create their own. If you want to know more about Atlanta or listen to more episodes, you can visit my website www.enmapopley.com. You can also share feedback or suggestions there. Today I'm really excited to share the remarkable journey of a true trailblazer Nandini Diaz, former CEO of Universal Mechan and Lodestar. Nandini has earned widespread recognition as one of the most influential leaders in the Indian advertising and media landscape, acknowledged by the Economic Times, the largest business daily in the country. With nearly 3 decades of experience, Nandini has successfully launched over 400 brands and strategically managed communication and investments for more than 250 notable businesses across various sectors. She has received numerous local and global awards and accolades, including being named Media CEO of the Year four times and has won the prestigious Game Changer of the Year award for a visionary initiative on decongesting Russia. What sets Nandini apart is a unique leadership approach influenced by her rich sports experience. the unwavering commitment of a core team who stood by her side throughout her tenure as ceo speaks volumes about her leadership impact join me as we uncover the unique perspective and wisdom that nandini brings to the table hi nandini a very warm welcome to atlanta diaries thank you enma i'm really happy that you invited me i have gone through some of the recordings and i can see really able achiever women so proud to be included in that had to be you've been recommended by viren and he's been telling me for so many weeks and months so absolutely delighted so given that you're from the creative world this conversation had to be a little different you know i was reading in one of your articles and i sort of was smiling when i read that many walks later you got through this you know premier mba institute but you did not join because you thought there was a better option and that was your husband <laughs> and then there was no alcohol to celebrate and you guys raised it to a real toast i was like creativity at a different level altogether so help us see that moment again and talk about how agnello supported you in your journey thus far and my i think my husband is probably the best thing that has happened to me but at the outset let me say he had no clue that i took such a decision you know many years later after we were married and some conversation came up and i let it out in fact he was just so surprised that you know i would do something like that but intuitively i knew that that relationship was too new to handle the distance and i'm glad i took that decision having said that you know ignello knew that being financially independent was a big thing for me so every time we ran into a challenge we solved it together we didn't think of taking the easy route of saying that one of us should leave the job we supported each other and it's not that he supported me but we supported each other we outsourced some of the tasks like cooking cleaning picking the kids from school and that's very possible in india and we kept the jobs you know some of the jobs with us which were we thought were important like playing with the kids taking them out or spending time talking to them and yes agnello is the best decision i've never regretted having opted for him 
How sweet. I can see that smile on your face and I think that's amazing. Nandini, a little difficult question I know at the very outset. With the wisdom of hindsight, do you think that an MBA should have been done? Probably uh, it would have been helpful to get a better, faster start if I had done the MBA because then, you know, academically at least I would have been up to speed. But, you know, I like reading. And what I didn't have to go to an MBA school to do. So I just got all the books to read. You know, once I got in advertising and I knew that I needed to understand marketing, I used to interact with other people who would know certain terminologies. And initially, I would just go and search what did they mean by a certain terminology. But after that, I just decided, I mean, might as well purchase the books and study it all. And I finished reading it, I guess. Uh, faster than uh, most people would do in a two years MBA. So you actually did a hands-on MBA. You just made sure that you cover up everything. Yes. I was interested in the business and I've always kept myself up to speed and I've read a lot of books, you know, which are educated, which are around advertising, digital, all of it. So you spoke about financial independence, right? So talk to me about how did your early years shape this journey and this perspective. So I don't think giving up the MBA was anything to do with financial independence, right? It was nothing to do with financial independence. Actually, I had a super multidimensional father who was into many things. He liked music, dance, sports, listening to philosophers, out of curiosity, studied astrology. His master was, was in maths, but he did his government entrance exam in history. I think all of this in a way resulted in us being exposed to many things early in life. And my mom was different. She was a fierce lady. You know, despite losing both her parents before the age of 18, she was resilient. And her mindset was that I can do anything I set my mind on. In that era, she played sports. And by the age of 50, she was academically more qualified than I am even today. So I believe that the openness to do new things and the ability to enjoy diverse things came from my father and my fierce desire to be financially independent came from my mother. She would in fact often say only if you're financially independent can you be truly free and now after so many years I understand what that means but you know I must tell you besides the serious part of it I think the overpowering images are of five siblings who are laughing, fighting, playing, ganging up against their parents when it got really tough. So I guess I learned the competitive part of it as I'm the youngest of the five. And, you know, to be heard when you're the youngest is a tough ask. Sounds like, you know, the home environment itself was a good platform to experience the real world, right? Diversity, financial independence, fears, uh, desire, and then the competitive environment, which was healthy, probably. So yeah, that sounds super amazing. Yeah, I'll go to happy childhood. That's beautiful. Love for you to share a little bit about how come advertising? It was a classic case of a confused kid. In India, children who did well in their studies were naturally expected to study science. So I was a science graduate. But I studied only because parents had threatened me that if I didn't get decent grades, they would stop me from playing badminton or any other sport. So while on paper I'm a science graduate, I often say that my real degree should have been graduate in sports. 
I had started doing well in badminton. You may know that the government of India gives employment to accomplished sports people. I was offered a job at Western Railway and my parents were thrilled to bits and thought, good, now she's settled for life. At this point, I was only 19 years old. Unfortunately, after seeing some ex-players and their growth paths, for the first time, I had to think about what next. Parallelly, I think television, you know, was new in the country. We used to see ads on television. I was totally fascinated by them. In my head, I would be analyzing and wondering, you know, about its impact. How does it work on people's mind? How do people purchase? You know, so I think that was a second part of things that happening. And a third thing that actually happened was during a long train journey from Mumbai to a place called Rajkot, I met a journalist who was the editor of a magazine. And we must have spoken five to six hours in the night. It was a night journey. So during that conversation, she asked me what my plans were after I graduated. And I mentioned to her that I would like to be in advertising. And I think it was the first time that I actually voiced my desire to anybody, including myself. You see, I heard me saying that I want to be in advertising almost the first time there. Surprisingly, she mentioned that after you finish your graduation exams, look me up. And I did. The day I finished my graduation exams on a lark, I said, okay, let's try calling her up and checking whether she meant, you know, and the offers is yet valid. And the journey began. So, I mean, in today's words, I tell people that, you know, I put myself out there. I dare to dream and voice that dream to somebody else. And somehow it all worked together and it got realized. That is such a beautiful story. Nandini, as I was listening to you, I'm just wondering what part of your personality do you think made her make that offer? No, that's difficult to say. You know, I helped her in her difficult time because she was traveling without ticket and I accommodated her. So in a way, I helped her on that night. But I mean, that didn't mean that she had to, you know, take it forward. Most people, you would do something like that for, would have said thank you and forgotten about it. But I don't know, something connected. And, you know, sometimes you meet strangers and in a minute it all works out, right? You just feel connected. I guess we felt connected and uh, we continued. In fact, we had a lovely relationship post that when I started working for her and we continue to know each other yet. Mm. I want to shift gears a little bit. Given that you started your career in advertising and then you continue to work in the same organization, you know, it started from at a very junior role and ended becoming the CEO of the organization. So what were the challenges you navigated? Like from a leadership lens, you were earlier working with colleagues and then you became their reporting head. So love for you to share that journey with us. Before I share that, let me just say that the pleasure of being promoted to a CEO position in an organization that you grew up in is really, really satisfying. But yes, after I became a CEO, a big change was the kind of work that I needed to do. So I would say to people in my first year that I'm a trainee CEO. Before becoming a CEO, my core competence was strategizing innovative communication solutions for a marketing challenge. And most of the awards that I got was in that space. But after I became a CEO, I needed different skills like finance, networking to open opportunities, showcasing the agency, 
and the work. I mean, just showcasing the work. I was doing this a bit, but not enough. Now it was like almost a focus point for me. And surprises were mostly at the people level. There were some upset seniors who were vying for the job, who took time to digest that I was promoted into a CEO position. Colleagues, you know, who not hesitate to keep arguing and take advantage of the familiarity. And despite knowing the team, I needed to work on each person differently to align to my vision. And while it was tough and the heartening part is that the top 30 people in my team stayed with me throughout my journey and, you know, including the hostile ones. So I had managed to identify each person's strengths and ensure that they play to their strength. Frankly, I took a lot of effort. I built consensus and, and carried the entire team. But yes, that was a big task after I became the new CEO. How did you handle the hostile people? How did you handle the, the people who were arguing with you? And in a sense, you know, Atlanta Diaries is really about that, helping leaders transition in their journey. And I think what you're sharing is really a testament to your exemplary leadership skills, Nandini. I think that the effort to do a one-to-one -one conversation, understand their point of view, have the patience to, you know, have a dialogue and not one day, but maybe some of them, you know, so some people come to align to your vision quicker. Some people can take a year to be aligned, right? So I think just the patience, the perseverance, the attitude that it's not that I'm a CEO, but I need to have a team which is aligned and has the same vision. You know, I've been in sports and sports is a great teacher and I believe a must for everyone. You may remember the movie Chuck the India. Yeah. I think that that movie was fabulous. You know, just to so that the audience understand the movie was about a women hockey team and how the coach taught the 16 players to play together like a winning team. And he identified different strengths and weaknesses, made them realize that they need not compete internally, but use their abilities to win against opponents. And if they win, the entire team wins. I've used that philosophy always at work. And, you know, the minute you start seeing it like a sport and not as an individual interaction between two people who may like each other, may not like each other, the whole interaction and the behavior pattern shifts. And that's analogy I would use to say how I worked around with people. That's a beautiful analogy. You know, I think people often don't understand it till they've really been a part of sports. So it is one of the things that I had almost insisted with my kids. So there are a lot of parents who do maths exams at junior levels and stuff like that. It teaches you discipline, hard work, the mindset of practice to perfection, team spirit, a positive attitude, competitiveness, an ability to handle wins and losses. And so I've always used sports as an analogy for a lot of things that I have done in my own life and in my family. You know, while I really appreciate your perspective that it's very fulfilling to be a CEO in an organization where you work literally from base level, but I think there also must have been a lot of unpredictability stress, anxiety, moments of loneliness. So who was your go-to person at that point of time? So I didn't go through too much of stress. I'm not the kind of person who gets stressed about those things. 
but i wish i had a mentor you know in today's day a lot of talk of mentorship is prevalent i don't think 15 years back there was so much of uh, focus in my younger days i would just pick up suggestions study reactions and find ways to figure it out better you read books when we were younger i'm sure you would have books of desmond morris like body watching and man watching yeah yeah when ted talk started i started following ted talks self help books you'd go through those so i was more into reading to figure out if people had been in the same situation but i didn't have a go to person in fact strangely i never even came home and told my husband because we would come back both tired from our own let's say challenges so we come home and switch off right we would not talk at home about what happened in the office and we didn't want to keep the mood on so i don't think i had a mentor so to speak to ask you know how to navigate it better but i think i did a okay job but i wish i had a mentor i mean i now see the advantages of having a go to person who you can bounce things off who's able to give you his or her experience on uh, how things can be done better faster quicker you know so you made books and learning resources your go to people or whatever you call it and i think that actually talks for a huge amount of mental strength and self awareness as i was listening to you you know i sort of thinking about my husband like his over in his was working in the media industry for many years you know he would always say that it's like a roller coaster ride every day is a different day so what's your perspective on that and how did you then navigate those roller coasters in your journey <laughs> oh i totally agree you know advertising and media it's a roller coaster ride it isn't easy frankly many days it used to be sheer madness um and lodestar is among the top 3 agencies and services over 70 80 clients and clients come in different shades and form every day several people in fact would come to meet me and try to ask me advice on how to manage a client or some situation usually a tough one so every day you go through really a variety of emotions but when i was younger i could have had a bad day sometime one would not be very diplomatic but today it is difficult each person has limited interaction with me and if an interaction with the ceo doesn't go well sometimes good people feel nervous enough to leave or if you don't show concern or react dramatically they never forget it so now i control my emotions a lot more in fact the first time i lost a business i was so shaken you know i was miserable for a long period of time almost sulking if i can use that word but now i've learned to spring back fast or at least put up a facade of strength and as the captain of the team one needs to stand tallest at all times fortunately i'm a positive optimistic person and so it helps so let me tell you an anecdote without taking names here yeah? uh, walking the red carpet at can film festival means a lot to the film industry right so actress one wanted to be the exclusive person walking the red carpet but we had already told another actress that she will walk too so actress one who was most senior threatened to pull out somehow the press got to hear about it needless to say the client didn't want the story to be published 
so suddenly I'm trying to convince the press to not put out a speculative story. And I'm dealing with four really high-powered people. The actress is at one end, a client who's worried because it's a global client, and the press. And the middle of all this, I'm at a launch for another client. And that launch has just gone really well. And so client two is in the middle of celebration and wants all of us to raise a toast with a vodka shot. And he's getting irritated that I kept going aside to, you know, manage the other situation. So at any time, there are at least five to six balls in the air, many of them with clients. For them, that is the most important thing that is going to, because remember, a lot of it actually goes out in mass media, right? So you can't let communication go out. So for that client, they see it as life and death. So some days when I went and sat in my car and reflected on the day, I would laugh and sometimes I would say, I don't know what I'm doing. Tell me, is it lonely on the top? I think being a CEO is a complex job. And, you know, one is needed to be task-oriented and people-oriented. And the organization looks to you for solutions. So sometimes the team expects you to be almost like a superhero who has extraordinary powers and can solve all issues. That puts pressure on CEOs too, right? And that has made CEOs play the part too. So some love to portray that CEOs have all the answers. Some believe that CEOs should not show or share fear. You know, they may appear inadequate. Or if they ask for help, people will doubt their capability. I think my journey has been a bit different. Everyone knew me and had worked closely with me on some assignment or the other before I became a CEO. In fact, in the earlier days when I would openly call myself a trainee CEO, it was mainly to let people know that I don't know it all and I will need help. And I was willing to let my defenses down. In fact, I often shared with them the likely struggles, the risks, the consequences and invited them to be part of the solution, part of the conversation. I've turned to people for support, got their buy-in. I've shared my vulnerability transparently. And I'm conscious that it was easier to do as they were aware of my work or my strengths because we worked in the organization together for a long time. But Enma, I think sharing vulnerability doesn't reduce the loneliness. You know, at all times, you carry the load of ensuring that things should go well. And as a captain, you need to ensure that you mostly win. People need to know that they can trust you to lead them to success. And they need to know that the leader is dependable and mostly infallible. So, yeah, I mean, to an extent, it is lonely. Yeah, no, I appreciate your putting it out there because like you said, not everybody talks about it. You know, this takes me to imposter syndrome. Did you ever experience imposter syndrome? And if yes, how did you navigate it? Strangely, I never felt it till a few days back. I've just gotten the board of a mutual fund company as an independent director. It's one of the larger mutual fund companies in the country. I've been invited on boards before, but earlier I lacked time and hence didn't accept. This time when the invitation came, I was happy to be on board. And I guess I got included on the board because they needed at least one independent woman. 
and my first board meeting was within the first week of me accepting so i got some 1000 pages to read within the 3 days so during the meeting when the fund managers were explaining some aspect of the business i started feeling like an imposter and it was really the first time that there was a bit of fear on whether i would live up to their expectations and did i make the right decision or you know but having said that knowing me i started using these 3 months that i have before the next board meeting to understand the business to get into step and hopefully will not feel the same in the next board meeting i'm very clear that i've got the opportunity because of a reason but mm. i will not let the inclusion be regretted by them or me you know manisha who was a guest earlier on Uh, you know sort of shared exactly this and uh, you know she is the ceo of moilis now and she said my grandfather used to say that you might be in for the wrong reasons wrong metaphorically but you stay on for the right reason so you know i'm hearing the same perspective there yeah and almost like another non creative journey starting for you nandini and uh, <laughs> this sort of makes me think that uh, how come you decided to move on from such a fulfilling role of the ceo of lodestar what triggered that decision and what is nandini's plan going forward oh well by 2020 i had finished about 7 years of being the ceo mm-hmm. and i felt i was doing more of the same so i had signed up for the amp course at harvard business school just to start thinking what next and then the pandemic hit us april i was supposed to you know join the course in march is when uh, india had its lockdown so unfortunately i couldn't go to the join harvard but i also thought it was inappropriate to leave the organization at that point of time but by end 2021 my restlessness started again we had one of the best years our numbers were great we had won over a dozen new businesses over 20 international awards we won the title of media agency of the year you know rekma recognizes as the agency with the highest vitality i was recognized as the media agency ceo of the year and feted by the governor of maharashtra so i thought i couldn't have chosen a greater milestone year in which to hand over the baton and go out on a high so that was my uh, exit so now what am i doing i'm primarily having fun yeah. <laughs> catching up on things i've always wanted to do so while i was a ceo i was involved in bits and pieces of social work that i was doing but it was in a limited way because i didn't have uh, the bandwidth that time but now i'm involved in a couple of ngos like mumbai first also an education uh, you know ngo i've just recently agreed to be on the board like i said of a mutual fund as an independent director so that's the activity that i'm up to interesting nandini you know you've done a lot of work in the space of gender diversity what made you take up that cause frankly i don't think i've done enough enma in uh, gender diversity uh, you know there are such few ceos i think i need to do a lot more than what i have done uh, you know not just india but global most people are aware that women on the top have had to really sacrifice considerably to get there or be there and several surveys have shown that women on top have remained or become single and have opted for not having kids and you know if you see there is a lovely hbr article which actually tells you the high percentage and it's over 60% and that's wow. the intensity of it in my opinion that's too big a sacrifice i think 
women who dare to dream of wanting it all feel guilty and are almost apologetic about it. Yeah, so I would encourage women not to be so hard on themselves and to navigate the situation well. That to have both a glowing family and an equally stellar career is an appropriate expectation. It's not something that they need to feel guilty about. So women at the top, married, children, happy family, stellar career, even if I'm saying so. Suddenly I became like a role model and a lot of people would gravitate to me because of how did you manage, how did you navigate. I mean, I've counseled hundreds of women who are in this area. I think the other thing was more for industry. You know, I was involved in facilitating mentorship for the fraternity. So under the ages of International Advertising Association, we started a mentor mentee kind of program for women who were in their early 30s, a young kid or, you know, married. So that stage of life, when they suddenly start having to do time management much more, we identified 20 senior advertising, media, marketing uh, women, and then paired them with mentees who needed, you know, a mentor, so to speak. And I think the third kind of work that I'm doing is more on um, another initiative. I'm just a part of it. So it's called Voice of Change. And Voice of Change is all about how we need to reimagine content. It's right from 30 seconds to three hours. So it's just and how should content avoid biases or what kind of content is okay to be shown. But I think it's just not enough. I should be contributing a lot more. And now I have the time. So I'm now working towards doing work like that. Yeah, that's interesting. And I also recently read about another research, which is the tall poppy syndrome report, which really talks about women's success is under attack in workplaces around the world. And, you know, it says that the more accomplished an individual, the more likely she'll be to face aggression not only from those in position of seniority, but also from her peers. So what's your perspective on that, Nandini? So I've faced and seen it all. It may not have been called tall poppy syndrome, but you know, now that we know what uh, the definition of that is, I think in the last decade, women have been feted and celebrated a lot more than men at the same level. And then there have been rankings that have become a big thing. Uh, also awards and that draws a lot of attention sometimes the rank used to be higher than my boss's rank you know the corridor sarcasm statement said only in jest would all play out almost making me feel guilty suddenly you know you're hiding some of the achievements but I think after some time I took it in my stride and refused to be intimidated and the funny thing is after you are not intimidated comes a label of assertive, high-handed, ambitious. You know, I've heard men talk to other men, dismissing a woman achiever's recognition. And I've been sitting there and I'm hearing these two men talk and saying, oh, she is queen, fetid, but I don't think she deserves it. I've had my points of view dismissed, prefaced by just, you know, just because you have won, don't think you are better or you know it all. I've been deliberately left out and my junior has been spoken to. I face situations where we have aligned before a meeting, agreed to take a stand. And then in front of a client, after I've communicated the joint decision, it has been overturned with no new data, just making me look like a bad cop. So yeah, 
tall poppy syndrome uh, is something women will face for the next few years till society gets used to seeing successful women. And women stop feeling guilty or intimidated. My advice is just don't get intimidated. If you're good, you are good. And don't let someone else make you feel otherwise. So was this when you became the CEO or was it all through those 25 years? No, I think in the last 10 years, the recognition and awards were far more, right? Mm. And the rankings. So you would be then in the industry rankings and you would be, you know, you won CEO of the year. Like I won four times CEO of the year by different organizations. Surely that brings its own challenges. Okay, on a lighter note, everywhere I read that Nandini is a really chilled out mom. So tell me Nandini at home versus Nandini as a CEO, like how are they similar and how are they different? So, uh, I mean, uh, let me answer that in two parts. Uh, Nandini as CEO and Nandini at home is identical. And I would say that many times over to people that I would run the house like I run my office. And house had four people or five people right so it was really simple to do than uh, an office of thousand people so i just found the best possible for the task you uh, you allocated delegated and you did things efficiently like you would do in an office you delegated yeah people and you just map the best people to the task and the task gets done and you assume that it will get done well so I don't think I stressed out about, do I have to be different? Do I have to change my style or the uh, attitude for any of it? So I think that chilled out mom is a lot more fun. I have two sons. And when you have two playful, sporty boys, one has no option to be chilled out. Every few days, one of them would be injured or, you know, they would land up in some mischief and the teacher or principal would send for me or things would be lost or at 12 in the midnight, they would say, oh, mama, now uh, I have to do a project next day, which we need to submit. And then we're all sitting till three o'clock in the night and doing. But somehow I'm not one of the people who panics and it was all par for the course. In fact, I enjoyed playing with them. They studied in a boys' school and I would go to their school and uh, go on the ground and play with them. And most of the mothers would be sitting out holding their bags and water bottles and they would see me on the ground, you know, happily playing with them. Somehow I just was not one of those tiger moms or helicopter moms, you know, micromanaging everything. There was no great do's and don'ts about or rules, you know, that things must happen in a particular way. I would not be hassled if they came home dirty or injured. You know, a lot of women go through this guilt trip if they're working, that they're not besides them. I didn't go through any of these guilt trip. I never went through the fear of missing out. You know, a lot of women are sending their kids from one class to the next, thinking kid needs to know it all and needs to be super dimensionalized. In fact, I didn't send them to tuition classes. My kids went to play, no tuitions. I was not into trying to fill their days with, you know, activities all the time. I wanted them to have free time to just roll around and, you know, think and imagine and be free as opposed to just, um, like I said, be like a tiger mom and channelize everything. And I think that my kids' friends would often say, oh, your mom's so chilled out. How come she comes to play? So I think that chilled out came from more my son's friends 
and then the office because the office i would see a lot of women who are so stressed out of you know oh my cook oh my driver and i would be like yeah yeah okay it's all right i would i think manage it far better so i guess that's the way the title came through jillard mom nandini how did you mentor the women leaders or aspiring women leaders at your workplace when most people aspire to have it all i think a lot of them the interpretation that i have to do it all and the uh, idea of delegation the idea of outsourcing they almost feel guilty so for example cooking like i'm not a very good cook and i think if i my poor kids and my family had to eat what i cook every day they would hate food so i realized that early in life that if i want them to have good food i should step out of the kitchen not be in the kitchen oh, sweet <laughs> women need to understand what are they good at what should they keep with themselves so a lot of counseling that happened was just understanding and i'll tell you a, a small anecdote which was happening while we were brainstorming and pitching was something i had a really senior colleague with me had a kid who was a mate 9 years old i mean i heard the conversation that they were having on the phone it was not i would i didn't mean to eavesdrop but i was there and i could hear the conversation and this child kept pushing the mother saying you are not coming home so you have to get me candies and i could see the emotional blackmail that the kid was doing to the mother and the mother feeling guilty she was not pushing back and saying i am tired because it's already late i'm working hard she was saying yes baby i will go and she left all of it to just go and pick the candies because she was apprehensive about going home and that the child would throw tantrums i mean i didn't counsel her on that day but few days later i i would counsel her and saying that don't give the feeling to the child that you are doing something incorrect that you are having a great time you are also earning money it's needed for the house let the child realize that the mother is working and it's likely she's tired because it's she's working overtime so and allow him to appreciate that instead of making you seeming guilty and then the child also gets excused that okay maybe she's doing something wrong that's why i can you know exploit her at that point of time so i think lots of situations which you would have on the spur of the moment you talk to people talk to women and uh, work through mentoring them Nandini, I know we've spoken a lot about it, but what factors will you attribute your success to? Right attitude. You know, naturally or intellectually, I may be in the top 30%. But by just not giving in, being at it, improvising, bettering, trying hard, relentlessly, I think I've landed up in a much better place than what I think would have otherwise happened. You've called yourself a non-conformist in certain uh, situations. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, so I've always been a non-conformist. For example, leaving a most coveted position is definitely not conforming to a pattern, right? I mean, most people when they are with a CEO position, they they are happy and continue for many many years. When one is younger and a non-conformist. people usually call them rebels yeah. in fact my father would call me a rebel without a pause <laughs> but Love i guess that. that's the starting point of having your own point of view i have on many many occasions 
refuse to do things which may seem like tried and tested norm. But if I didn't agree with it, I have tried to do things differently. In the early days of Lodestar UMR organization, they didn't believe in competing for awards. I changed that mindset and it changed the mood and the end of the organization. CEOs need to maintain decorum. I would, during a party, dance with the junior most and even with the PM. You know, just because everybody else is doing it, just because it's an acceptable norm that uh, has ever been acceptable to me. And my marriage, I mean, you know, in India, you normally have a arranged marriage, right? And within the community, well, I broke out of that. So let me tell you a few naughty things. You know, like why my father would call me a rebel without a pause. I used to like M.F. Hussain and his work and his art. And, you know, M.F. Hussain used to walk without shoes, right? Yeah. And he had given justification of why you need to be without shoes and how it's far more healthy. Yeah. And for the longest time, I was without shoes and I would be roaming around the streets without them. And uh, yeah. If you had to turn back the clock, what will you tell your 18-year-old See, I would dread telling my 18-year-old self anything because I think she was wild, had fun and didn't conform to anything. So my 18-year-old, I would not, but maybe to my 35-year-old, try doing things differently. You know, I would maybe tell myself to have taken a lot more holidays and breaks. Somehow in those days, between managing many other things, not taking enough breaks, maybe I would look at networking a lot more. I was so buried in work that I just didn't have enough time networking with the industry or the teams outside the country. I had a great opportunities to meet a lot of celebrities, you know, interesting people, eminent people, stars. Somehow in the time management, I would put that aside and say, oh, that's not critical. I could meet Nobel laureates to, you know, Grammy award winners. But somehow I'd rather finish tasks than spend time doing. Oh, so my 35-year-old, I can tell a lot of stories of how could I have done things differently. I never believed that I needed to evangelize work at 35, I would be really shy to go and tell somebody that I did something or I would just hope that somebody discovered and is watching and knows what I'm up to. Often the Copcom team would come to me and, you know, in the social media days of the last 10 years, say that I need to put out. And so I would say, no, put out whatever is necessary. So they would literally come to my laptop, open my Facebook or LinkedIn, what they have put out tagged me and then retweeted it. So there were some things which I didn't think I needed to do to evangelize myself or to sell myself. I think some of those things are things which are now needed in today's environment that we are in. Nandini, I want to go back to one of our earlier conversations. Like you only said that, you know, your journey is unique in the way, but you had to work with people who were vying for the organization. So tell me a little bit more about that. How did you carry those people along? I do understand that when you were vying for that position and you didn't get it, right? And it's very hard for most people to acknowledge saying, oh, but you deserved it. So you will have naysayers. But it was for me to uh, acknowledge that, you know, deal with the sensitivities. And I said that my family and my office, I treated similarly. 
imagine if something like that happens in your house right manage that situation right you talk 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 till your child or your husband or your in-laws or whoever understand your point of view and you don't after one conversation let it go saying okay damn you know if you don't get it tough luck you maybe do it in therapeutic doses you may say it many times till the person believes it your action needs to demonstrate that what you're saying is what you mean so um i think that's the principle that i used the first few conversations were almost one sided communication and i remember saying that you know just because i've gone one step up doesn't mean anything we are yet equal i do believe that there are lots of things that you will bring to the table that i myself will need your help for and that i'm not able to do it myself and when you're discussing a vision when you take different people's perspectives on board not you know say it's only me and my part and my idea or my thoughts when we have the collective conversation i think that all plays out so it's a long tedious patient kind of activity it may have taken me two years to get all the 30 people on board but uh, i think we played like a team until i got out of lodestar in fact i was very keen that the person who would be in my uh, shoes would be a person from within who understands the ethos who understands the culture who's you know grown with the organization has contributed in the way of thinking so it's not you know different for that person and the person who got promoted and stepped into my shoes was somebody from within beautiful you were very intentional about it and you were not an avoider you wanted to solve for it rather than just ignore the situation since atlanta diaries is a place where aspiring women leaders learn and sometimes even unlearn their definitions of success what are your parting thoughts for these leaders as they transition into larger roles i think my mantra and so i'll give the same thought i think hard work matters success doesn't come to you you have to work at getting it and keep going don't get intimidated by challenges and above all don't quit thank you that was just so simple and yet so powerful like a true badminton champion you went into the conversation with your sports learnings yeah thank you elma thank you very much for listening all my guests have brought their most vulnerable selves on atlanta diaries and even if a small segment of these conversations can help champion the journey of one person it's going to be really worth it I do have a request for you. Please share this podcast on your social media and with your family and friends. Our society is constantly evolving and Atlanta Diaries must too. I really appreciate if you can leave your feedback in the form of a review or a rating. These are impactful and rousing stories that need to be shared far and wide. See you next time for another one on Atlanta Diaries.